collected from the lady And I cleaned the fan light inside out I was blowing saxophone on the weekend In a down joint Tell me what's my life Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, and this week, I examine the adaptation to the second novella included in the 1990 collection of Four Past Midnight, the tale of identity, writers, writing, and insanity, the Johnny Depp and John Turturro starring Secret Window. So in my review of the novella, I talked about how I wasn't looking forward to re-watching because I remembered it being pretty boring. I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed rereading the novella, which I had only read once and had done so before I had seen the movie, so much of my remembrance of the story was shaped by the movie that I had watched after it had first come out in 2004. It was a movie that I wasn't overly excited for, because I just didn't have strong feelings towards the novella one way or another. But was very interested because it was starring Johnny Depp, and 2004 was prime Johnny Depp. Remember that he had just had his resurgence the summer before with the first Pirates of the Caribbean, his small but buzzed about role in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and was currently reinventing himself as a tour de force of a leading man with the strength of a character actor, infusing his roles with memorable tics and idiosyncrasies. So even though I wasn't overly excited, it was still enough to hold my interest. And just over a decade later, I don't have much memory of the movie, other than the sensation of finding it boring. So it was with this thought that I headed into my current day rewatch. Part of me was a little worried about it, but part of me also was kind of excited. But like I said, it'd be nice to revisit Johnny Depp during peak Johnny Depp era, along with John Turturro, who never disappoints either. Plus, it was written and directed by David Kep, a man who had written a few little films that you might have heard of. Here's a few. Death Becomes Her, Toy Soldiers, Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, Mission Impossible, Spider-Man, War of the Worlds. So we have an actor on the top of his game, a director who'd written some of cinema's most memorable hits, and a supporting cast that includes John Turturro, Marie, Mar sorry, um, Maria Bello, and Charles S. Dutton. There was actually a lot to look forward to. Was it worth it? Let's take a look. But first, I'm going to share a listener email. Hi again, Constant Reader. Enjoyed your show on Tommyknockers. Your considered appreciation of the novel is far more satisfying than the novel itself. The Easter eggs are now my favorite part of the show. In the Tommyknockers episode, you conclude that the mention of Derry and the clown in the sewer couldn't be the same Derry, but why can't the timeline of IT coincide with the Tommyknockers? Unless Pennywise only manifested during the IT character's childhoods. Don't remember that novel well enough. Can't explain the Shining movie reference versus Halloran's cameo, but it's fun to think about. There's a whole self-reflective subgenre to these references when King himself is mentioned or just shows up. Thinner, Dark Tower. So thanks, James, for writing in. Um, the reason... So just to... Provide a little context for this conversation here. 
when I had reviewed the Tommyknockers, first of all, I was surprised by how much I got into the Tommyknockers. That's, I, I really, really enjoyed rereading it. I really enjoyed uh, making that, that review episode. But when I analyzed the Tommyknockers, I talked about how the Tommyknockers has to exist in a different universe than the, the one that we had read about in the pages of It. Because the way that I see it, the destruction of Haven in the pages of the Tommyknockers is so, so large that if the events had taken place before the events of Derry, it would have had to have been mentioned within the, the pages of It. And similarly, with everything that happened at the end of It being as large as it was, if the Tommyknockers took place after that, the events probably would have been discussed by residents of the neighboring town of Haven. The, the, and the whole reason why I'm even talking about this in the first place is because Pennywise the Dancing Clown has a very, very small cameo in which two characters from the, the town of Haven are driving through Derry. One of them thinks that he sees a sewer, I'm sorry, a clown in the sewer. So that's the only reason why I'm talking about this in the first place is because there is a link there, but I just feel as though the ending of both novels are, are just so large that if they really did exist within the same universe and the, the towns being neighboring towns, it, it definitely would have, the events of one would have been referenced in the other. So, James, thanks again for writing in. Uh, please feel free to write in again. So now I'm going to jump back into my review of Secret Window, starring Johnny Depp. So immediately, we see a haggard Johnny Depp in his car while he tells himself to turn around. Immediately, we get a sense of the duality that comes from the book, the internal voice functioning as an external character, which foreshadows the... Uh, the shooter-rainy relationship that will come later. The director is building the suspense as much as he can, with the viewer unsure exactly what's going on until Mort bursts in the into the motel room. It's a silent scene that's quick but nevertheless awful to watch. Depp can't do anything but scream and stands there unsure to stay or unsure to go, his body torn between two halves, much like his two personalities. We then get to the scenic introduction to the lake house, beautifully designed by the way. The camera pans in through an open window, and there's a clever choice here. First it pans into the window, like I said, which tells us that the movie will include inner turmoil, and then shows us an image of Mort sleeping, but not of Mort himself, but of the reflection of Mort through the mirror. It's a subtle difference, but it's a notable one, because it's sowing the seeds for the greater themes of reflection and identity. There's a knock on his door and Depp, in a tattered bathrobe, discovers John Shooter on the doorstep. Shooter, played by John Turturro, immediately accuses Mort of stealing his story. We're also introduced to his dog Chico, taking over from Bump the Cat in the book as the collateral damage that will accrue in the story. And then, now I remember why I remember this movie being born. We get a scene in which Depp stares at his computer screen and struggles with what to write. And it's scenes like this that make me hate stories about writers. As you'll know in previous episodes, I've talked about the fact that this is a Stephen Kingism that drives me nuts. And in the novella, it makes sense. It's a well-composed thriller, but as a movie, 
I always have difficulty getting behind writers because we always have scenes of scenes of reading and scenes of writing and scenes of reading don't make for very dynamic cinema and scenes of writing don't make for very dynamic cinema we get a flashback to Maria Bello discovering the secret window and her discovery of it is a bit on the nose and we get more scenes of Johnny Depp reading but at least I'll have, you know, I can say that we, we have his interaction with Mrs. Garvey, who he flips off behind her back and, you know, hides his lit cigarette from. So Depp is being Depp here and, and trying to infuse the character with some life because I feel that the movie does need it. He lays down on the couch and he drifts off to the ticking clock and we get a great dreamy shot of the front door backlit with blue light and the door buckling against something outside so hard it's almost coming off of the hinges. Depp has a confrontation over the phone with his soon-to-be ex-wife, played by uh, Maria Bello, and later, one with Shooter that ultimately ends with the reveal of the death of Chico, which prompts Depp to seek out Charles S. Dutton for protection. Like I said earlier, Kep and Depp do what they can to spice up the narrative, for instance, having Depp walk around his cabin with a ridiculous-looking oar, ready to bash Shooter if he spotted him. Dutton checks out Depp's cabin for signs of Shooter and, after not discovering a thing, leaves to the motel where Depp had discovered Maria Bello having an affair. After he leaves, Depp is sure he hears something upstairs, convinced it's Shooter, and proceeds to explore. The scene stretches out, and you can tell that Kep is going for tension, but it's never really that tense. And just like in the novella, Mort is convinced that he sees Shooter in the bathroom and attacks what he thinks is his stalker, only to discover that he's simply broken a mirror, which is the symbolic foreshadowing of his duality. There's a couple funny lines here of Mort admitting that he's just killed his mirror and his shower door. Shooter and Rainey have another conversation with one another in which Shooter threatens Amy. We then find out that Amy's house is burned down and we get to meet Ted, Amy's boyfriend, casting, which works wonderfully, by the way. Now, I'm sure that this was completely unintentional, but casting Tim Hutton as Ted, stroke a genius, seriously. Tim Hutton starred as both Thad Beaumont and George Stark in The Dark Half which was a story that also dealt with a writer fighting off a double identity that has come to life to overtake the author's existence. So I mean, just the fact that he appears not only in one adaptation of a writer struggling with identity, but then shows up as the antagonist in another film by Stephen King about a writer struggling with identity, awesome. The viewer should probably no doubt pick up on the fact that Ted has a southern accent very similar to Shooter's. And after a heated argument with Ted, it's revealed that Ted is from a little town called Shooter's Bay, Tennessee. Things are really starting to fall into place at this point. Kep also makes sure to start having Depp wear a black hat at this point, as well to symbolize the convergence of the two personalities. Depp discovers Dutton's car and Shooter's own black hat. While driving around town, he encounters the locals, who offer him cigarettes, to which he denies smoking, hinting at the fact that the shooter personality has been buying cigarettes. And for the second time, Depp backs his car in reverse to confront Ted, the first time having been at the motel. Then we have a scene of forced tension in which Depp has to hide the recently discovered bodies of shooter's victims 
in which his watch is caught on the wheel of the car he's about to send over Ravine, and it's false tension. At no point do I ever feel as though Johnny Depp is in danger of going over the cliff. Amy has a bad feeling and heads to the cabin, followed by Ted. Mort starts spiraling into insanity, talking to himself, and following it up with putting on Shooter's hat. He continues to talk to himself, now literally talking to himself, with multiple versions of himself physically occupying the same room, all heading to the big reveal. Duplicate Johnny Depp leads real Johnny Depp to the truth, which results with the real Johnny Depp throwing an object at the wall, which creates a huge fissure showing the instability of the house, i.e. his mind, and then the rainy persona is then overtaken by the shooter personality. Just then, Amy arrives at the cabin. Until now, the novella and the movie have been nearly identical, but here's where things change. In the novella, Mort, possessed by the persona of Shooter, attacks Amy, but is shot before he can kill her. But here, Mort, overtaken by the Shooter persona, not only attempts to kill Amy, he does kill Amy. And he kills Ted as well. The novella concluded with the Tales from the Crypt or Twilight Zone kind of twist that Shooter was not only a, a creation of Mort, but also a separate entity as well. Here, it ends with Mort burying their bodies in the corn. Mort tells the sheriff that the endings are the most important part of the story, but if that's the case, then this movie is pretty weak. The sheriff tells Mort that they'll find the bodies and tie him to the murders, so it raises the question, how hard is it to find the bodies? I mean, the guy clearly buried them under the cornfield that he just recently planted. I mean, wouldn't you look at the patch of earth he just tampered with? Anyway, in my opinion, the novella ending is a lot better. All right, guys. Uh, so all I have now is the book versus the movie. So let's see how it how it shakes down here. We have Amy book, or book Amy versus Amy. I'm um, sorry, book Amy versus movie Amy. And nothing against Maria Bello, who also stars in this movie, but um, also stars in... Oh, what's the adaptation that was... Was that the one that was on Lifetime? Yeah, that there, there was a Stephen King adaptation that came out in the fall of 2014. Big Driver? Is that the name of it? From the... Uh, which is also from a novella collection, Full Dark No Stars. So nothing against Maria Bello. I, I think that she's great in everything that she does, but I just found Amy in the book to have more dimension simply because the novella was able to give her more time to be a character, and I don't think that Amy in the movie has that time. Ted book versus Ted movie. Ted movie all the way. You know, Tim Hutton laying on the greasy southern sleaze is a treat. I wish there was more of him in this movie. Then we have... Shooter from the book or shooter from the movie. Uh, sorry, John Turturro. You will always be, you will always be the Jesus from The Big Lebowski. But the character in the movie, just something about him doesn't work. I mean, the character in the book is so much of a presence. He's this huge threat. In the movie, it just doesn't translate. And the hat, which was just unsettling. In the novella, it was identifiably Shooter, and Shooter was menace, therefore the hat just represented all of that menace. It's just a hat in the movie. It, it never comes across as anything other than a hat. And are hats just naturally scary? No, you have to make it scary, and it just did not work in the movie.
Okay, lastly. Book Mort or Movie Mort? Now, I felt that Mort was a character in the book, albeit your typical Stephen King writer character, but one that's going through a divorce and makes him a little bit different from your typical Stephen King writer character. Whereas in the movie, I mean, it just, at no point do I ever feel that I'm watching anything other than Johnny Depp. It's Johnny Depp. It's Johnny Depp being Johnny Depp. And, and, and no matter how many ticks and quirks he gives him, you know, I mean, he has braces at the end of the movie. I, I just, I have to go with the Mort character from the book. It just, I don't know. I mean, that's my gut. I can't really quantify it. I'm just going to say that I liked the character in the book better. I just think he was handled better. And, you know, it was just giant up being giant up. With his giant up goatee and his giant up hair. And his giant up glasses and... I like Giant Depp, but I like Mort the character better for this for this particular story. All right, guys. So all in all, I'm going with in the great battle between Secret Window the movie and Secret Window Secret Garden the novella. I'm going with Secret Window Secret Garden. But the movie, you know, it, it wasn't nearly as boring as I remember it being when I first watched it in 2004. You know, I mean, it's not that thrilling, uh, and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's well done. It's well acted. It's well directed. It looks good. Uh, I mean, it, it's very competent. I, I completely see what David Kep was doing in the movie. It's well structured. It's well layered. You know, it has a beginning, middle, and end. But it's just, I, I just think that the source material. Nothing against Stephen King. I mean, but I think that the source material just doesn't lend itself to a very thrilling movie. You would have to make notable changes. I don't really know how you would go about doing that. But again, this is an example where I just don't think that you need to adapt everything that Stephen King writes. I think that it works as a as a very well well written, very engrossing novella, because that's the medium that the content is reflecting. So it's always going to work more. So I guess that's always my problem when we have movies or television episodes about writers. Within the medium, it, within the medium of books, it works better. But when you take the character and the subject outside of that medium and transpose it into a different medium, it just, it just doesn't, it loses something in the process. You're never going to get it back because they're, they're a fish out of water. So I, I just, nothing against the book and nothing against everything that everyone did in this movie. It just doesn't really make for the best sit. So I mean, if, if you really love Giant Depp, then yeah, check it out. But if you, you know, wanna watch a different movie, I wouldn't blame you. So like I said, it wasn't, wasn't the snooze fest that I remember it being. Um, and it is well done, but it's probably not one that I'll ever watch again. All right, guys, and that's all I've got for, for this particular review. But I am releasing all of my reviews related to Four Past Midnight in a very, very, very short span of, of time. So I'm going to say tune in next week for my next review. But I'm lying because when I say that, I'm probably just going to release everything in the in over a course of a couple days so you can 
take the, 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 the earbuds out of your ears or you can, you know, just hit the, the next button on your, your cell phone and just move on to the next episode, which is The Library Policeman. So head on over to my next review, The Library Policeman. I'll see you there. Uh, same King time, same King channel, Stephen King. Yes. I'll help me